clapping thing. Yeah. One, okay. two, three, clap. Okay. That that was weirdly not. Uh, <laughs> we didn't clap at the same time, but that's okay. It was perfectly in sync on this end. Isn't that weird? Oh, okay. You want to know why? Weird. You want to know why? Because I added dumbly, very stupidly, an extra beat. I was like, one, two, three, clap, and then I clapped. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Right. Um, um, it's <clears> fine. <throat> it's fine. We'll be fine. I'll sync it up. So, um, welcome everyone to Space Flicks. This is uh, the podcast where we review a movie and decide if it's worth the cost of beaming out to a lonely astronaut in space. Uh, today we're doing a very special episode. It's very special. Social, yeah, social distancing edition. <laughs> That's right, uh, coronavirus edition. So um, typically we're in the same place. We're in, you know, the same room when we record these episodes. Uh, not today. We are uh, both self-quarantining. Um, so anyway, apologies if the audio is a little strange or um, there might be... I mean, there's inevitably going to be some weird delays or... or just pauses because our internet might be a little spotty or things like that. So, yeah, yeah. But we're doing our best. Um, anyway, we don't need to say any more about that. Uh, this week we're talking about The Invisible Man, mm-hmm. the latest film from Lee Huenel. Huenel. Yeah. Um, is that like Cool Whip? It's like Cool Whip. Huenel. Cool, cool Lee Huenel. <laughs> um, yeah, the guy who directed Upgrade, the writer of Saw. Um, so let's uh, let's well let's get right into it. Do you have the synopsis up? Because I don't. Uh, of course I don't. Uh, because we are everything is thrown off because of COVID nineteen, and I none of my usual go to moves <laughs> do I have available to me. But you're uh, doing a great job bringing it up while uh, filling time. Mm-hmm. So so while Adam's doing that. Um, and just you can interrupt me at any time. I will say upgrade. I will remind those who who, who have been listening from the beginning. I'm sure there's many of you. Uh, upgrade was one of our favorite movies uh, last of two th- year. Yeah, of 2018. Of 2018, yeah. we we definitely beamed it up. I think I don't. We never did like a top ten ranking of the year, but I think when we sort of privately did it, uh, upgrade was like number five or something of the year for us. Yeah, I mean, it was it was solidly in there. You know what I mean? It yeah. wasn't like on the. I think when we saw it, we were like, "That's a bubble movie," and then the rest mm-hmm. of the year happened, and we we're like, "Nope, that was definitely one of the <clears throat> ten best movies we saw last year." Yeah, right? I mean, it 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 was. Uh, it just was. It shot to the top of the list and stayed pretty solidly in there pretty much the whole way through. So we were obviously both pretty pumped for Invisible Man. But why don't you give us the synopsis, Adam? Yeah, the synopsis is when Cecilia's abusive ex takes his own life and leaves her his fortune, she suspects his death was a hoax. As a series of coincidences turn lethal, Cecilia works to prove that she is being hunted by someone nobody can see. Hmm. So this is so right off the bat I think something strange to mention about this movie is that this is considered like maybe it's only strange to me because I have zero familiarity with the invisible man um sort of monster you know lore mm-hmm. um 
but it's it's considered a, a reimagining of the Invisible Man, mm-hmm. which is a which is a classic monster movie that's had I guess several probably remakes or or versions or variants. Uh huh. Um, and I guess the reason that's weird to me is that it just doesn't. It feels like a completely new, unique thing, and and I feel like they that you can say that because it's called the Invisible Man. But they could have called it like something else, and no one would say that this was a remake of The Invisible Man. <laughs> right. You know what I, I mean? Yeah. Like there know, was that movie Hollow Man with Kevin Bacon. Remember that movie? I well, I know that it existed. I never exactly. Saw it. Yeah, I, I also didn't see it. But that was not presented as a remake of The Invisible Man, right? That was just a movie involving a man who turned invisible. Yes. So I don't know. I guess it's generic enough to me that it's like. If you made a movie about a superhero who could fly, you know, and people were like, oh, it's a remake of Superman. You're like, it's not really. <laughs> he just can also fly. Right. 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 <clears throat> That's kind of how it feels to me. But anyway. Yeah. Well, my understanding is the uh, the background behind this movie is that Universal owns the rights to a variety of classic monster movie Right, including The Invisible Man, yeah. Right, and at one point, they were like, oh, this is going to be our version of the MCU. We're going to have all these different monster movies where the monsters, like, inhabit the same universe, and we're going to do some big sort of reunion, like, uh, you know, like, combinatorial thing toward the end where all of them are in the same movie, right? And that'll be, like, our, our end <laughs> yeah, game. Yeah, right? you know, the movie everyone wants to see with, like, Dracula and King Kong and and the 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 Frankenstein's monster, right? Right. Well, I mean, it's like, <laughs> well, and it, it's obviously, like, tremendously misguided, right? Like, because um, Marvel basically asserted, like, you know we could probably get to a place where like we do what comic books are good at, where we like mash up all the heroes into one, Mm -hmm. one special issue. Right. Those are good in comic books. They'll probably, it'll probably be good in movies. Right. Mm -hmm. And instead this was like, um, you know, a solution in search of a problem. Right. It's like, Oh, I know we've got all these monster properties and we wish that people liked them more and wanted Mm -hmm. to put them together. And, and so I think they like, reverse engineered into like oh here's a thing that we own that has lots of characters that where we could potentially smush them all together the problem of course being that like that's an incoherent idea and nobody wants it right yeah actually come to think of it how is it do you understand how universal has the rights to all these monsters i think they're just old and that was like a very popular genre for a while was like monster movies and so so it was going to be like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde and like the Wolfman and the Mummy right. and no, the right. But Man. what I'm getting at is like Disney bought Marvel, right? Marvel had all of these comic book characters. Right. Like did, did one entity have the rights to all of those monsters? They seem totally unrelated. Uh, I don't, yeah, I don't know how Universal like... Gobble those just, up. Did, did they just collect them all, like like Pokemon style? I don't know. I think it, 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 like I would need to do a little bit of research on this. It feels like accidental, right? It's like they just <laughs> they just they, realized they had. they like looked through the catalog and like oh we have all these things. This is something we right. could combine. But and so that was like their big plan, uh, and they were like we we're gonna launch it with a Tom Cruise vehicle, the Mummy, 
which was yeah. a huge flop, and then it like aborted this entire thing, right? Yeah. So now Universal is sitting around with all these monster properties that they're that are sort of like burning a hole in their pocket, and then they go to Winnell and they're like, "Hey, uh, we have this Invisible Man thing. You, you know, anything yeah. interesting there?" And he's like, "Well, maybe, right?" Like yeah. I actually, and so then to so to your point, like the fact that this is called the Invisible Man is almost like a vestigial tale, right? Mm-hmm. Because, like, it's not really about the Invisible Man. It's about, um, you know, the his victim, right? Right. And right. so um, it's just an... In- it just feels like we somehow have miraculously stumbled into a good original-feeling movie that mm-hmm. despite, like, many different headwinds, because all those headwinds sort of dictate that this should be, like, derivative and sort of, like, desperate... But it yeah. ends. But it ends up being uh, just a, a, a very original seeming type of work that just happens to carry the title, "The Invisible Man." Yeah. Well, when you say it had so many things working against it, I think the one thing that was certainly working in its favor for you and me was was the Huenel factor, um, as we already alluded to. You know, we really were were fans of his work in Upgrade, and and I remember. Um, when the trailer for this movie came out, I think it was, I think you brought it to my attention. It might've been the other way around, but I think you were sort of just like, have you seen the invisible man trailer? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like pretty, Ra- pretty, raised pretty eyebrows. excitedly. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that gets us into what's normally the way we start these, these things off, but we kind of got sidetracked there with the dark universe, um, which is just expectations. Uh, so I think we were both definitely, uh, really looking forward to this movie right i mean not only after upgrade but but um the trailers the trailer was um pretty enticing you know for me at least um so yeah i was expecting i would say i was definitely i had high hopes but i think we talked about it after i think my expectation was i didn't think it was going to be as good as upgrade i just thought it was going to be probably another pretty solid entry I guess I guess maybe part of my assumption is just you know your typical sophomore slump phenomenon of like the second is never good, as good as the first because I think Upgrade was his technically his directorial debut if I'm not mistaken um, I might be mistaken um, but in, anyway it's his directorial deb- debut in my world um, right the first one that you're so, aware of yeah and um, and so I thought it was you know probably likely that he'd go a little bit more ambitious, maybe stumble a little bit. I mean, that's definitely how I feel about, for example, Jordan Peele's Us. Um, Right. Sort of like swung for the fences, like went for more and didn't quite nail it. But um, so that's kind of what I was expecting from this. But what about you? What were your, I know we were both looking forward to it, but where where were your expectations kind of relative to Upgrade? They were really high. Um, So I, I, you know, we loved Upgrade, um, and then the trailer for this movie was great, and the fact that it's Elizabeth Moss, an actor who I genuinely like. You know, like, every Mm -hmm. time I see her in anything, I'm like, yep, she's very good. Um, And so it's like, okay, he's probably got... And this time, this time it's actually Elizabeth Moss, as opposed to with Upgrade, where I thought it was Tom Hardy. (laughs) Right. right. (laughs) And we saw the movie, I was like, that's not Tom Hardy. Right, (laughs) right. Um, yes, it's a woman who happens to look very much like Elizabeth Moss because she is Elizabeth Moss, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and so uh, I was like, wow, we've got 
a very talented director with what I think is just a, an out of the box, like, you know, just immediately compelling premise with mm-hmm. a very good actor. And I would imagine a, like a larger budget than right. what he had for upgrade. Um, and so it's like all these things point to this, this has the potential to be good. Um, and so my, my, and I was just sort of banking on like, I, I hope that this feels original and interesting as opposed to just sort of like a, you know, a, a, a sort of a cash out. Right. Right. Um, and incidentally, this is his third movie. He also directed Insidious 3. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I, I guess I heard that somewhere. Um, but yeah. Um, okay. So your expectations were very high and what, and how did it compare to your expectations coming out of the theater? I honestly, um, it was actually better than my expectations. Uh, Mm. meaning, um, I, for some reason, uh, thought it was going to feel like I, I expected there to be a gimmick and I expected to just sort of like be, you know, like enjoy the gimmick. Right. I expect, mm-hmm. I expected. And, uh, yes, there totally was a gimmick, but I think the filmmaking, um, didn't just, uh, try to impress you with its, you know, special effects in the way that it made invisibility scary. I think it also, um, did a very, uh, compelling thing where the camera is always sort of searching, right? The camera Mm -hmm. is always like looking in empty spaces and it creates this sense of dread for me as a viewer where I'm constantly like just my eyes are wide open and I'm scouring the frame, like trying to find any evidence of this invisible thing. Um, And the fact that generally speaking, you can't, right? Just makes it that much more terrifying, right? Yeah. and and so just the filmmaking itself was like sort of a notch better than I even anticipated. And then um, I thought Elizabeth Moth, perf- Moss's performance was um, really, uh, really impressive. And her sort of desperation and isolation, just she did a great job of conveying that. Um, where it didn't feel like I'm watching a campy horror movie. It felt like I'm watching a woman sort of fighting for her life. Um, and I just found, yeah, I just found that entire performance to be really compelling. So it, it actually exceeded my expectations on those two fronts. Yeah. Um, yeah, I definitely feel the same way. I, um, I, I mean, my expectations were a little lower than yours, I guess. So it was maybe easier to exceed them, but, but even so, um, I thought it was better than upgrade. Um, I think, I think, which is what you're saying too. I think, yeah. I think like what we both felt about upgrade, probably the, the, the main thing that I remember us both saying after was just like that. It was so cool. Like that right. movie was really cool, you know? Um, and it was kind of like mostly about technique and style and sort mm-hmm. of what he was able to do with the resources available. Um, and in the end, you know, I remember sort of talking a little bit about, ah, it's got a bit of like a cautionary tale aspect to it, man versus technology. But like, it's really not a very heady movie. It's it's just like a cool movie with good action and stuff, right? Right. And, and so, yeah, I sort of, I think I'm sort of in the same boat as you were. What I was looking forward to and expecting was just really impressive technique, 
really impressive sort of like clever, um, you know, ways of setting up scenes and things like that. And I think this movie has a lot more substance to it than, than upgrade probably largely on the shoulders of Elizabeth Moss. Yeah. Um, but I think, I think the camera work and stuff like you talked about too, it's, it's just really effective at putting you in her shoes, like helping you kind of get in her, um, you know, get in her experience, I think yeah. of, of what's happening. And it's really, I mean, it's really terrifying. I feel like this movie is, is it's not like a, I wouldn't really describe it as a horror movie, although I guess that's the closest genre probably, I, I guess thriller. Right. Um, yeah. In fact, in fact, now it's coming back to me after the movie, we, we were like, is this a horror or a thriller? Like what's the difference? And, and we agreed they're, they're close, right? Those are close genres, but, um, I think it's more of a thriller. Um, but that said, I feel like it's more terrifying in many ways than a lot of horror movies. Um, just because of the sustained, you know, dread that you feel and, and the way it ratchets up um, the kind of the stakes over the course of the movie where in the beginning, you know, um, first of all, in the, in the very beginning, you know, uh, after, after her, her boyfriend uh, is pronounced, you know, is she discovers that he's dead. Yeah. Then it, there's some scenes where you're sort of uneasy and you think maybe, maybe she's imagining it or maybe something is going on, but, but like, it's unclear what his motives are exactly other than just maybe he's, he's, he's a little obsessed with her and he's being a little creepy, but then sort of the lengths that he's willing to go to as the movie progresses um, become a lot darker. Right. And, right. and you start, and you start to be like, Oh, this guy's like straight up evil. Um, and of course she's known that all along. Right. That's why she was trying to get away from him. But, <clears throat> uh, yeah, I think it's just, it's just a much more probably, probably what it comes down to is being in the, in her experience. Like I said, just makes it so much more, um, more terrifying, more, uh, un unsettling and upsetting. Right. And your typical horror movie where, you know, even even good horror movies, you're normally not, in my experience, you're not like that attached to the characters. Um, yeah. And and I feel like this movie is, is very different. You're 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 really right there with her. And so, yeah, I mean, the movie does an expert job of getting you sort of inside her headspace and creating in the viewer the same sense of. Um, dread that she feels because you know the first you know call it 10 minutes or so of the movie that wordless sequence where she is slowly and methodically escaping his house yeah. right just the way her body language the way she looks at him like how she is sort of um, hyperventilating very quietly Right. Mm -hmm. How she's trying, you know, she's deeply panicked, but she knows she needs to like be utterly quiet. Um, and I think, you know, just the amount of fear that she uses, you know, she literally tiptoes around him. Right. Yeah. Because of how um, what a sort of dreadful presence he is in her life. Uh, you know, that just helps you understand as a viewer what sort of a poisonous influence uh, or presence he is. And then when he. And then as the sequence unfolds and she inadvertently like trips a car alarm and has to sort of like run away, 
which wakes him and then ultimately he finds her and like shatters the window of the car that she's climbing into um i feel like that moment is sort of a typical horror movie moment right like a big like loud bang right that you weren't expecting but we just spent the past 10 minutes like earning that right Mm -hmm. it's Mm -hmm. not it doesn't feel like it came out of nowhere it feels like we've we very slowly and sort of like um like wound to this inevitable place. And so I feel like the move that's very indicative of how the movie sort of constructs its scares, right? It, it, they all feel very earned. Um, and the other thing about the movie that I find to be really, uh, well done is that unlike, I feel like a lot of other horror movies where there's this element of, uh, the fantastic or the inexplicable, right. Sort of like magical, uh, things Mm -hmm. that you can't understand. Um, this is very explicable, right? Meaning, mm-hmm. like, he, you know, if you just accept the fundamental premise that this psychopath has invented a technology that allows him to be invisible, right? It's not mm-hmm. like a force that you don't understand and the rules are unclear to you. It's like, this is a man in a suit, right? Mm-hmm. And anything a man can do, this person can do, right? Right. Um, and, and you just think of like all the things that you realize that you would be able to do if you were invisible, like, and it makes it more terrifying because, um, it's more real, right. As opposed yeah. to like a monster that is sort of impenetrable, that is like not really anything that you will ever encounter in your everyday life. Like this movie is like, no, like what if you were being stalked by a crazy person and they just had this one skill that nobody else had. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Um, that's that's another I talked about the sort of ratcheting up of things and and him becoming more and more evil I think um after we after we saw the movie I was saying like I feel like this this guy Adrian I feel like he's a really good villain which is which is saying something because he's he's barely got I mean he you barely see him ever in right. the movie, which is su- suitable because it's called The Invisible Man. He's got like 20 and, lines total. Yeah, in the movie. and he barely talks. But you I, you really, um, I think what makes him such a good villain is as the movie progresses, as he's kind of increasingly terrorizing her, um, I certainly found myself at times being like, this guy's a genius. You know, the, the things right. he's doing, the ways, the ways that, that he's manipulating her circumstances, I mean not in an admirable way of course he's he's terrible but like i just really appreciated that the movie it had a lot more brain to it than he's invisible so he's gonna like stab her in her sleep or like you know right he's just gonna do these dumb obvious things it's like no he's gonna he's gonna make people around her think she's crazy and he's gonna make her think she's crazy and he's going to do things that she wouldn't have thought of you know, but he could do it because he's invisible. Right. Um, and it sort of explores like the kinds of things you could do as an invisible person far beyond just the obvious, like pull her hair, you know, right. you know? Um, and so that I think was, was just really, uh, it's, it's funny that, you know, that some of these things I feel like hadn't been done before because surely it's not the first movie with invisible invisibility as a premise. Right. But it's, it definitely feels to me like it explores it in a much more intelligent way than, than others that have come before. Yeah. I think the thing that really sets, sets him apart as Adrian sets Adrian apart as a villain is he, his motivation is actually really clear, 
right? I feel like unlike a lot of other horror movies where it's just sort of like a malevolent force, mm-hmm. right? Like he is actually not primarily interested in hurting <clears throat> her. That's not what he wants, right? What he wants is for her to acknowledge and submit to his power, right? Mm -hmm. Like most of the things that he does or all of the things that he does in the movie are designed to help, like to force her to reckon with the fact that he has more power than her in all ways and that Mm -hmm. she will never have an advantage over him that uh, she can use to leverage the situation to be what she wants it to be. Right, because he cannot stand the idea of her feeling like she has any autonomy from him. Right, her leaving him. I mean, we we sort of have to interpret. Um, you know, they don't show any of their relationship before that opening scene where she's right. leaving him already. Right. So we, but we assume, uh, and we, you know, fairly assume it was it was bad. He probably he mistreated her. She talks about it a, a little bit in the movie. Um, but what we really we really see, and I think is is what you're you're saying, is that the fact that she left him clearly seems to send him, you know, it triggers something. It, yeah, it, 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 it's it's like it, unthinkable to him that she could get away with doing something where he didn't have control, and right. she and she made the choice, and it wasn't a choice that he liked, and so it's like the whole movie is about. It's it's it feels like it's about punishing her or or sort of making her see like you can't just leave me you know yeah. I I am the one who calls the shots here yeah and I'm in control of everything and I completely control your life and and again back to you know sort of the movie being effective I feel like as as the viewer you really understand what that feels like. Yeah. And and it is quite uh, upsetting. <laughs> right. So um, I think that's I think that's actually a good segue into, you know, we're, we're basically talking about it already, but um, we like to talk about the themes of a movie. This one, it seems like such a good, um, clean, uh, you know, representation of just what a controlling, abusive uh, relationship can be like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and basically using invisibility as like the perfect kind of uh, representation of that, um, both in terms of the th- kinds of ways that he can exert power over her, but also in the ways that, as I sort of was saying earlier, uh, uh, the, the sort of aggressor and abusive relationships can sometimes, if they're, if they're particularly, you know, charismatic or, or just yeah. smart, can kind of gaslight the 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 person that they're with and and turn their you know even their family and friends potentially against them or or yep. or or sort of convince the world that everything's fine and make the person that they're with feel completely alone because i think that's right that's definitely how she feels at points in this movie that she ha- even though she has friends and she has family that just nobody really is is able to support her or nobody will support her in the way that she needs and and they kind of all think she's crazy or all think she's you know delusional um and yeah that feels that feels like uh exactly the sort of uh feeling you know that he wants her to have and that a per- an abusive partner would want 
um, their partner to have, that they have no power and that they're completely alone. Yeah. I mean, and this movie makes quite literal, I feel like, uh, a, a very common plight, which is if you have a domestic abuse situation and somebody is claiming to have been, you know, the the victim of domestic, uh, or of abuse in some way, right? And a, a, a allegedly neutral third party is like, yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't see... Right. I don't see any evidence of that, right? I, I'm going to choose to believe, you know, party A over party B, right? Mm-hmm. Um, this is like an extreme example of that where uh, she's like, I'm telling you, you know, my my ex-boyfriend is still, is torturing me, basically. Yep. And everybody's like, well, I don't know. I don't see any reason to believe you, right? Because yeah. I literally cannot see any reason to mm-hmm. believe that you're correct, uh, and just the the sheer helplessness and isolation that accompanies that when you are telling people as clearly as you can, right, that you are being victimized by um, by somebody, and just no one will believe you, right? Yeah, yeah. I think I, I want to give a I want to give a great example of it. It's it maybe a little bit of a spoiler, but it's still pretty early in the movie. So, yeah. This let's call this let's call this mild spoiler warning. Ooga. Yeah, yeah. It's like a light ooga. <laughs> um, but I think a great example of this, and, and and of of us as an audience sort of understanding her perspective is she discovers um, basically the most the the point of the movie where it becomes like very concrete or it kind of becomes progressively concrete. So I don't want to say it's like the singular moment, but it's one moment where it sort of is a step change in, in our certainty that, that he is real and that he is terrorizing her is when her pills rematerialize, right? She, she has left. She, when she was escaping, she drops these pills that she had been giving him to keep him asleep. And and basically she knows that like she realizes later that she lost them right yep but then they show back up in her bathroom yeah and so and so when she's talking about how you know he's real he's invisible he's stalking her and she says you don't understand you know like these pills they showed up in my bathroom to us as the audience we're like yes that is that is sort of you know incontrovertible un, 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 right. yeah undeniably evidence that he is real but at the same time the people she's talking to they don't know that she dropped like you know they weren't there so so the lawyer's like okay so what you're saying is you lost the pills and then you found them again you know like Mm -hmm. it doesn't really sound like proof that there's an invisible man to me right And, and and i feel like that's just such a great um encapsulation of this kind of like gaslighting kind of phenomenon right where right where she's like, no, this is proof. But to other sort of, like you said, like neutral third parties, they're like, that is anything but proof, right? Right. Um, that's barely anything. But like as the audience, we've been there with her. So we're like, no, it is proof. But you have right. to understand what well, she understands. C- because it impl- it assumes that you you can dismiss her, right? Like, Yeah, it's like she's, she was confused she, about what She's happened. irrational. She is confused. She is making too much out of nothing, mm-hmm. right? And I feel like if you, like as an example, 
um, if there was somebody whose opinion you respected like more highly than anybody else's in the world, right? They were just they were so smart and they were always knew the right thing to say and they always had the right way of thinking about something and they told you that you know they're like I know this sounds nuts but like hear me out like this is my I'm going to go through very specific logic and very like the details will matter and you have to believe me that like I am not exaggerating any part of this right, right. like you would probably in that circumstance say like okay like this person has a very good track record of being on on things right like I I need to give them the benefit of the doubt and mm-hmm. really try to make sure that I am hearing this from their point of view, right? And I feel like no one does that for her. No one is like, she's actually really smart and capable and like wouldn't just like fabricate this because it's convenient. She's not hysterical, right? She and But everybody sort of jumps right to like, oh, she's just, you know, she's crazy, right? Like she's, she's yeah. a little bit emotional or whatever, right? Well, well, I mean, I think, you know, as Carl Sagan once said, extraordinary claims call for extraordinary evidence, right? And I think, right. I think, I mean, to be fair to her friends and family in this movie, she's claiming that a man is invisible, yeah. right? And, and that a man who, there are photos of him, of him dead, um, you know, and he's left money to her. Like she's claiming, no, he's, he's invisible. He's doing these things. So I think it's a combination. I think you're right, but I think it's not just the track record a person has. I think it's also how they are able to communicate with you. Right. And, and the, the dilemma I think a person like her would find themselves in, you know, uh, like the victim in an abusive relationship, for one thing is when you, when you are emotional, people tend to view you as irrational. Right. Yep. It's, it's sort of like a, it's sort of like the more emotional you seem, the, the less people assume that you have a clear eyed view of reality. Yeah. Right. But if you've been on the receiving end of, of a huge amount of abuse, it's not re- reasonable for you to, <laughs> for, for the expectation to be that you can sort of present the facts with no emotion. Right. So right. she, she's clearly shaken. She's clearly, um, upset and it's like of course she is because of what's happening but at the same time that's the very reason it's it's a big part of the reason I think that people don't really believe her um, or or take what she's saying as as reliable because they're like she's so upset you know it's it's, it's almost like and even the lawyer you know uh, Adrian's brother who at this stage in the movie we view as you know not not necessarily a bad guy he right. makes the observation look like, look, this is what Adrian does. He gets in people's heads. You know, he's gotten mm-hmm. in your head. You're imagining all this. And, and, and so the perception from, you know, the people who are ostensibly good people around here is that it's not like necessarily dismissive of her, but it's like poor, you know, it, it's like, sorry, what's, I'm blanking on her name. What's her name in this movie? Uh, what is her name in this movie? One moment. We should Please know hold. this. Uh, oh, it's Cecilia. Cecilia, yeah. It's like poor, poor Cecilia. You know, look at what this this horrible man has done to her. Even in his death, she can't sort of you know live a normal life. She's 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 going to be haunted by him. You know, figuratively right. speaking, for the rest of her days. And so it's like pity. It's pity and um, and 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 yeah, mixed with dismissiveness. 
<clears throat> so I think that's I think that's the big theme of the movie. I mean, it's a pretty obvious theme, but it's yeah. a good one, and I think it's it's presented really well. Totally. Um. Oh, box office. Uh, we can talk about box office for this. Ooh. Week. Okay. Um. So, do you want a reminder of how Upgrade did? Or is that yes. irrelevant in your mind? I, oh, oh, I want that sweet, sweet reminder. I'll take any you context I can get. Okay, I'll give you the reminder. So, Upgrade... Man, this is actually less than I remember. I guess I thought it was higher, but, uh, but that's okay. I will tell you anyway. Upgrade in its opening weekend only made... Um, a little under $5 million. So, oh, you know what it is? I think upgrade, and I, I had the number like more like 15 million or something. I think that was like its lifetime. Um, okay, okay. So, so upgrade in its opening weekend made uh, a little under 5 million. So, what do you think The Invisible Man made in its opening weekend? Upgrade made 5 million in its opening weekend? Mm hmm. Okay. How many are you? Will you tell me how many theaters it was in? Sure, I'll tell you. So, Upgrade was in about 1,500 theaters. Oh, in its opening weekend, it was? Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, Whereas The Invisible Man was in 3,600 theaters. Okay, so like more. So, much wider release. More than double. So, I would guess. What I'm basically doing is I'm I'm like well I it's on more than double the number of screens but I would guess on every screen it did like twice as well, you know what I mean? Okay. So I'm gonna mm-hmm. get I'm gonna guess it made like twenty. Well, it's more than double, so twenty four million, something like that. It's a great guess, Adam. It made twenty eight million dollars. Yes. So. So you you had the right idea, but yeah, but basically on, well, I think I think you had the right idea, except it was on more than twice as many screens. Right. So um, so yeah, so it was on more than twice as many screens, and I think it probably did. What did it do? I think I actually have per theater somewhere in here. Um, yeah, I do. So so upgrades per theater average is in the is only like around. Can this be right? I don't know if this is. I don't know if I trust. It's it's only like around a thousand. Yeah, I guess that would be right because that would translate. But um, so like per day, like a thousand dollars per day. Whereas mm-hmm. Invisible Man, on on Friday it was twenty seven hundred. On Saturday it was three thousand, and on Sunday it was like two thousand. So so yeah, yeah, more than more than double. Better than triple. double. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the per theater amount. So. So yeah, it did really well. Um, I mean, I think it did really well. And also, you mentioned uh, earlier that you assumed this movie had you know a significantly bigger budget than the Invisible uh, than than Upgrade. Yeah, I, th- I believe this movie only had a budget of of about seven million. What was Upgrade's so, budget? I think it was like four million or something like that. Oh, so not like a markedly larger budget. Interesting. No, not a huge budget. I, which which is curious. I mean, you know. Universal, they have plenty of money. Um, this was also a Blumhouse. Um, it was like a joint thing, I think. Oh, okay. Um, Interesting. And Blumhouse always does, you know, tiny budgets. But yeah. But I, I, I w- I'm like you. I would have expected that this movie's budget was, you know, I don't know, twenty million or something at least. Right. Yeah. But, it. I mean, just like Upgrade, <laughs> like it looks great. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, um, the fact that yeah, they yeah. did that on seven million bucks is very impressive. So wait, what's the so upgrade? You said made fifteen million in its lifetime. Uh, something like that. I think it so, might have even been less than that. So how's Invisible Man doing then? Yeah, Upgrade really only made like $12 million. Well, Invisible Man is, uh, of course, done now, which is sad. Because, oh, right, because uh, coronavirus. coronavirus. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, before it was yanked from theaters, uh, and by yanked from theaters, I mean all theaters closed down. Right, it's not it had like... gotten It had gotten to $65 million. Wow. So... Pretty that's big hit. I mean that's great, right? To like yeah. make a to make a movie for 7 million bucks and make 65 million no, that's bucks. Definitely, that's definitely great. Yes. Yeah. Um I'll be curious to see. My so, I mean it, is a lot of these movies that were like in the midst of their theatrical runs, I think are just going to video on demand like right away. I heard that yeah. about this movie. Yeah, I yeah. heard that it's and I was actually really excited for it. It's like good cuz I want to watch it again. I yeah, right? I know. I had the same thought. I was like I would not mind watching that movie again. Um so anyway, yeah. So it's done really. It it did really well up until, of course, um, uh, of course, like the whole economy shut down. Right. Um. So we've already given the spoiler warning. Let's talk about uh, best parts of the movie. I want to start with back to that opening scene. Yeah. I think that opening scene um, is pretty great. I think. Uh, I think the one thing I wanted to say about it, because I, I think it's been talked about a lot, and we've already talked about it some, but it's just such an effective way of showing, sort of like without having to show us any flashbacks or any sort of like past scenes of their relationship. Yeah. That opening scene already just kind of covers everything, you know, right. like in terms of she's trying to escape in the middle of the night. We can we can palpably feel how nervous she is and how how much it's, it's like clear from that alone, how much she needs to get away from this guy. Right. And, um, and something that I feel like is just a good sort of sign for me is that even in that opening scene, I found myself like, I had to like remind myself, I'm like, this is the opening scene. (laughs) Right. Right. She's going to get away because we're like five minutes into the movie. But I feel like the fact that I had to kind of tell myself that is, is, is saying something because, because the reason I had to tell myself that was just, I was, I was really nervous, you know? Yeah, totally. Um, And I feel like that's just like a really, that's a really great sign of that, that a movie could in its opening few minutes hook you like that and make you feel already tense because um, normally, you know, in a scene like that, I would just be like, this is ridiculous. Like, obviously nothing bad's going to happen to her. The movie just started and she's the main character. But um, but for me, that was like a thing I had to reassure myself with. Yeah. One of the things I really loved about the opening sequence, in addition to all the things we talked about earlier, and, and the fact uh, is that she the thing that was initially a little bit befuddling to me, but as the sequence unfolded, it made more and more sense. Um, I initially was like, why is this so hard? Right? Like walk out, right? Like just walk out the front door and like, and leave. Right. Mm -hmm. And then you realize like, oh, she has to go to these extreme lengths because he has this massive security apparatus in place effectively to like keep her in. You know what I mean? Like, um, and so she has to disable all of these different security measures that are basically an elaborate prison for her right which like 
the fact that these things even exist at all is like great evidence that like oh this guy is like uh absolutely controlling her right and she has to go to extreme lengths to even just leave the house right like there's very few relationships that you can think of that of people you know where like where a person can't just like if they chose to just like walk out of their house in the middle of the night if they wanted to right yeah and and it's just sort of like the fact that she cannot do that and the fact that she is so trapped just from from the jump right is really useful to your point like you don't need to show how their relationship is when they're awake because even their relationship when they are asleep is one of like sort of deep control and um sort of uh imprisonment on her part yeah yeah and i mean really it's 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 funny because there's no invisible man yet in that scene but it's it's really in the same vein as all of the other scenes in the movie in that he you know he in that case he's sleeping rather than invisible but it's right. still where she is feeling the effects of this man without him being in the frame yeah. you know um and uh and yeah all those things you said I do think, I mean, I, it seems like pointless to, to debate. I, I don't, I don't, I didn't necessarily interpret all the cameras and stuff as like, these are all in place to keep her here. But yeah. I, but I did, but I did think that she knew that he would, like, basically she knew him well enough to know if I leave, he's going to use the security footage and everything to like figure out where I went and come and come find me. Right. And right. so it's like she's she's trying to. Well, remove she can't even open the do door. That. She couldn't even open the door without setting off the alarm, right? right? So, yeah. uh, um, and yes, I recognize that this is a man who's invented an invisibility suit and doesn't want somebody coming in and stealing it. Like I get that, but like, yeah. but it, it 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 cuts both ways, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I can agree with that. Um, I have, I mean, I definitely have a few other scenes that that are on my list that are worth talking about. But what about you? What's like what's top on your list? Um, I mean, I think the scene that is going to stick with me as just utterly terrifying and really the thing that sends the movie to like another level is the scene in the restaurant with Cecilia and her sister. Um, so after, um, there's one point in the film where Cecilia has, uh, gone back to the house where she shared that she shared with Adrian and she, um, uh, she finds the invisibility suit and she's got proof now basically that Adrian can make himself invisible and she calls her sister and they go to a restaurant and she's about to tell her sister, you know, the whole truth about what she has discovered. And, um, and then we see a floating knife next yeah. to Cecilia. Oh my gosh. And it rapidly, uh, floats through the air and, um, cuts her sister in such a way as to sort of render her uh, mortally wounded. Um, and the knife immediately flies into Cecilia's hand. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden, like the, an entire restaurant of people have basically uh, through sort of a like a collectively fat, you know, um, uh, constructed memory have witnessed a murder that she yeah. has committed. Right. Um, and it's just gutting, right? Yeah. It's just absolutely terrible. 
Well, I think, I think the movie is so, it's like the progression of things builds to make that moment maximally devastating because first of all, she's only got a couple of people that she trusts, right? There's her friend, um, I'm blanking on his name as well. James, James. Yeah. Yeah. She's got her friend, James, that she's staying with. And then her sister, um, what's her name? Emily. Emily. Yeah. Her sister, Emily, who picked her up from, from Adrian's house. So she's, yep. you know, she's one of her closest, um, uh, you know, her, her closest sort of trusted allies. Um, but one of the first things that Adrian does, uh, because he's invisible <laughs> and he can do this is he actually emails Emily, uh, from Cecilia's email address and yeah. sends her this, this, you know, horrible, to- totally note, fabricated, yeah. but, but this email about how you're controlling me and I, you know, and I, I don't remember how much of the email the movie shows, but it's basically, you know, a cruel email to her sister saying that like, I don't want you in my life and, and things like that. You always were, you know, trying to control me and I'm trying to, you know, break free or something to that effect. And so, so then, then it's like, Oh, she's lost this ally and her sister, right? Because, because her sister thinks that she sent this horrible email. And even when Cecilia tries to say, I, that was, that was Adrian, Right. It's like back to kind of the whole gaslighting side of things. Like, you're not going to believe that. It's like, right. It's not Adrian. He's dead. You know, don't, don't, right. I don't know what weird, th- weird twisted things going on in your head, but like, don't, don't talk to me. Right. So, right. but, um, but the setup of the restaurant scene is, is after all that's happened, she's able to, you know, at least get her sister to consider, you know, like, I just want to talk to you. Right. And so there's this, like, there's definitely this, this uh, amount of hope you're feeling of like, Oh, okay. I'm so relieved that her sister is like willing to sort of yeah put, put the email aside for now, come out and meet her. They're in a public place. This is going to be a pivotal moment in, in like her sister being able to help her. Right. Yeah. And like her talking to her sister yeah, And it's like, right as her sister is, right as Emily's sort of like, kind of showing, indicating that she's going to take her seriously and right saying like, okay, you say you can prove this is real. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm your sister. I love you. I'm going to listen to you. Right. And you're sort of like, in this state of, okay, maybe something good is going to happen here. Right. And then, and then it's like, it's like, right as you're feeling that, that the camera shows the floating knife. Yeah. And you're like, what? What? What's that? Yeah. And then and then seconds later, Emily is dead. And you're just, and it's just so so shocking. And for me, it was like a twofer. It was like very shocking at what just happened. You feel devastated for for Cecilia, who just lost her sister just in the blink of an eye, right? Yeah. Because because it's like it's immortal. I mean, he slit her throat, right? She's right. not gonna no ambulance is going to save her. Right. But, but at the same time, it was for me, at least another one of those cases of this guy is like a mat, an evil genius. Like right. that was just such a brilliant way to completely neutralize that, that potential threat to your plan and make it go horribly wrong for Cecilia in what felt like the safest place possible, you know, highly public, area with tons of witnesses um like that was just a a stroke of genius right there you know as a as a villain Um, right well it like it 
it's funny the idea of like let's meet in a um public space is a a legacy thought right it's Mm -hmm. sort of like a Mm -hmm. oh hey if we want to be safe we should go somewhere where everybody can see us right Right. it's like yeah but you're forgetting that the guy is invisible right he can do whatever he wants and what he's taking advantage of is yeah there's a ton of people around who can see you but they're not looking at you right they're not watching what's happening right until something has happened so i'm gonna make something happen that will make them look at you, and by then it's too late, right? Yeah, it's, it's nobody like in, sees the floating knife, right? It's like in hindsight, the the better plan would have been like, let's meet in an extremely enclosed space where only the two of us can fit. <laughs> it's only big enough for our two bodies. I want to meet you in a phone booth, right? We're going to meet in a closet, right? right. Like, um, you know, it's just because that doesn't occur. That's not a common thought. Right. Well, um, I'll tell you. I'll tell you what. Actually, I mean, I think a public space is the right call, but I think where she might have gone wrong, um, uh, because uh, the movie doesn't really indicate otherwise, is she should have picked a place with many cameras. Right. Oh sure. Or pick a place where he can't get close to you without revealing himself, like the middle of a swimming pool. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. There right? you go. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. We could, we could come up with thoughts like this, but in the movie, I don't think she's ever, I think in general, her actions are, are pretty intelligent, you know, right. it's, at, he has the upper hand, but she's sort of doing the best she can. She's not, at she's no, certainly, yeah, at no point when she's like, let's meet at a restaurant was I like, this was, I, did I think to myself, this is a terrible idea. He's absolutely right. going to exploit this, right? It's right. only it's, after he does it that you're like, oh, no. That makes yeah, perfect yeah. sense. But, but I mean, I think that, the email, there's another scene where he slaps James's daughter. Yeah, he, and like, all of pu- the, he like punches her. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but in, and, of course, in that moment, it's like her daughter is like, why did you do that? And thinking Cecilia just hit her. And she's like, it wasn't me. It was Adrian. And, you know, and again to, to her and to James, it's, it's like, don't blame this on Adrian, you know, like don't, don't use him as the, as the excuse for all of your bad behavior. Right. Um, but all of those things in those moments, it's like, you, how do you plan for that? You know, he's just, he's throwing things in her path that I don't think any smart person who's who's dealing with an invisible person could could sort of like anticipate and and deal with smartly it's just like nope somebody you know i couldn't stop him from hitting her and i can't convince them that it was him um so suddenly you know i'm alone he's he's james is taking his daughter and leaving me here now i'm alone with adrian um so yeah all of those things to me uh like i said they just they just were they were kind of like both terrifying and made me appreciate what a, what a, you know, what an intimidating, uh, evil guy, what an intimidating bad guy Adrian is because he's not just invisible. He's also, he's also very clever. Yep. Um, what else? Any other favorite scenes to discuss? I have a bunch, uh, but I mean, I could. I feel like I've been hogging. Let's do. Yeah. Let's do one more each. Yeah. 
So um, one of the other sequences that I thought was great was, uh, I don't remember precisely what precipitates it, but I think it's after Adrian has um, hit Sydney and James and Sydney have left the house. Uh, mm-hmm. Cece calls Adrian's phone mm-hmm. and she hears it buzzing mm-hmm. in the attic above her. And she climbs up there. And that entire sequence. Oh my gosh, yes. Uh, is just utterly like, you know, like my nails just digging into the armrests of the seat, <laughs> right? Um, because finding the phone, finding various pieces of evidence in the attic that illustrate how he has been sabotaging her, right? Mm-hmm. And then uh, her looking down the ladder and pouring a bucket of paint on him is just so shot is so scary right like because you don't realize how close he is until that moment right i Mm -hmm. mean you know he's around you know he's there right but um just the patience that the film has to get you to that moment and then that that's of course followed by like an extremely uh in my opinion impressive fight sequence where she um confronts him well it's difficult to say confronts when you can't see but like when gets she attacked. when she gets attacked by him in the kitchen mm-hmm. and just the just the visual effects of that sequence and how it is terrifying but you can sort of um through the way her body is being manipulated by an invisible force you can understand what he is doing to her Right? right, whether that's throwing her across the room or grabbing her by the hair, um, and it's just she's so overmatched in that moment. He's physically stronger. He's obviously invisible, um, but the fact that she, uh, despite all of that, is still like reaching for plates and breaking them over his face. Right, like mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. just a really it's a terrifying, uh, inventive, and ultimately like it makes you really root for her even more because even though she's so disadvantaged, she still is like not giving up and is still like trying to figure out a way to, to get through this. Yeah. Quinnell really likes breaking plates on people's faces. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, he also likes uh, a insidious force controlling you. That's true. Right. Yeah. It's kind of what he likes, I guess. Yeah. Um, well, I know I said let's do do one more each, but that was going to be mine too. I think that scene is is it's right uh, right up there, maybe even more intense. Well, almost actually no, it is definitely more intense than the opening scene. But I feel like it's similar in that there's just a lot of silence and her creeping quietly, you know, yeah. um, and and you as the viewer just kind of like you said, kind of just like gripping your seat, just just nervous yeah um i will say it's it's simultaneously very effective and also a little weird and funny to think about um a moment that for me is just was super creepy is when he texts his own phone yeah an unknown number yeah just the the word surprise oh uh. i mean i feel like i feel like the the there were audible you know gasps in the audience uh in in our in our theater when that shows up on the phone and people are just like oh you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But it is. But the reason I say it's a little funny is like, where is this phone that he's texting it from? You know, was, right. was he like holding a phone, <laughs> like just invisible, like a floating phone in the air? 
Um, right. I uh, feel like he, somehow the suit, like anything he's got in his pocket, for example, like yeah, I feel no like, that that's possible. I mean, I also was thinking like, oh, maybe the suit itself has like oh sure, know, why not cell cell capabilities? Why not? Yeah, yeah, doesn't matter. He he I can mean, invent an invisibility in, suit. He can <laughs> build a phone in there for the, sure. Easily the most advanced part of the suit is the invisibility thing. So you can throw yeah. a lot of other stuff in there as side side features, bonus feature, um, yeah. Uh, but okay, I'll just say one more tiny scene then as another great part of the movie. And yeah. I think it might be, it's the first or one of the first scenes where he's actually interacting. He's like in James's house yeah. um, as an invisible person and she's sleeping, yep. um, uh, in the same bed as James's daughter with Sydney yeah. and yeah. And Adrian, um, slowly pulls the blanket off. He takes some pictures, which at, 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 during that scene, I didn't even understand what was happening, to be yes. honest. Yeah, it's just um, a flash. Just yeah. Lights are flashing. And I'm like, what is he doing? And then and then she slowly wakes up and she she has this blanket that she starts trying to pull back towards the bed and she can't and something is holding it in place. And you just yeah. you realize what's going on and you're like, Oh my gosh, this is really freaking scary. And then he's, and then you see his footsteps as he starts uh. stepping closer to her. Um, <laughs> clearly, you know, just to scare the bejesus out of her, right? Right. It's just um, to demonstrate that he is in control. Like, she can't even yeah. pull a blanket up without yep. him, like, relinquishing it, right? Yep. And then, and then, of course, she screams and James runs in. And, and, and of course, Adrian, the invisible man, can easily just vanish right, right at that moment and uh no one else saw the footsteps so yeah. um so i think that was a great scene that was a great just sort of visual um and just so, oh, so effective at yeah. terrifying you <laughs> yeah just the two footsteps on a blanket is yeah. just a, a horrifying Brilliant. image yeah yeah um what about uh our last segment is fix the movie do you have any gripes? Anything you would fix? The uh, the visual effects at the very, very, very beginning where the waves are hitting the words, the invisible man. Oh, yeah, yeah. I wasn't, like, super huge on that either. I mean, if you're going to skimp on visual effects anywhere in the movie, that's the place to do it. But it's sort of like, oh, this looks a little bit tacky, right? Well, you know what? I actually have a weird theory about that, though. I mean, it did look a little tacky to me. But I think that there's actually just like the phenomenon of rain hitting in something that's invisible, I think is just something that sounds cooler in theory Mm -hmm. than it actually looks. And I think that like our brains don't know what that looks like. So when we see it, even if it's rendered exactly what it would really look like, it still doesn't like look real to us. That's my, that's my theory on that. Possibly. That it's very yeah, to your point. I've never seen ocean waves hitting invisible floating letters, <laughs> right. so I have no idea. But to your point, it just it was one of those weird things where like this immediately takes me out of it because like this doesn't look very yeah. professionally done. But again, yeah. that, like if that is the biggest complaint I have about the movie, <laughs> then that's a pretty minor complaint, yeah. right? Well, it's interesting. So we didn't, neither of us seems to have any gripes with this. I, I'm aware, though, that a lot of people feel two things. A lot of people feel like the ending is like totally derails the movie. Um, 
Yeah, I don't think and, so. And, and another thing I've heard um, people complain about is just is the lack of security cameras. <laughs> um, like, for some people, that seems to be a big deal. Um, like, oh, like, any security camera could have captured, you know, all of the stuff he was doing. Um, so I guess we can go in reverse order. I guess the security camera one, to me... Is, it doesn't bother me at all. I think I think like in houses and in a restaurant and stuff like that, it's it's very realistic that there wouldn't be any cameras. Also, totally. I think I think he's smart enough, and we have seen that he's smart enough that he would just not do anything in a place right. where there were security. Or cameras. I mean, he's an invisible man. He could unplug yeah. a security camera. Like there's any yeah. number of like easily plausible things. Yeah, I think there's that, and then I think the. Um, but I think the one thing, though, is that the scene towards the end, you know, the hallway fight scene with all the police coming in and stuff. Yeah. That there that does seem like a facility that would have security cameras. But I feel like the movie doesn't focus on it because, for one thing, like you just said, he could probably disable them in some way. Right. But two, even if they're on, I think the way that scene plays out, it sort of, like, doesn't matter if they're on. Because by the end... Um, like, people do acknowledge that something weird was happening, right? And James even mentions, like, we have people confirming that there there was something weird, like there was an invisible man or something like that. Like, like he's making himself very apparent by, right. by that point, point in the movie. He's not trying to, like, conceal his existence. Well, I mean, and then the, he has the alibi of his brother, right? Right, right. Like, so, so, so for me, it's like security cameras don't really make a difference in that scene. Because it's not like just because you have the security cameras, a million people are going to show up right away. Like people are coming, you know, the the guards and whatever are coming up at about the rate they would come, you know, to sort of take care of, of an intruder. And he just happens to be invisible. And so by the time she gets away, it's like, sure, there's security footage, but but like that was not, that doesn't change the game. You know, he's already right. made himself known. Right. Um, but then as far as the end being inexplicable, um, uh, so I won't lie, I don't really feel like I fully understand the exact mechanics of like the final act. Like when did it switch? Like when was his brother putting on a suit and, and like what does, what is the starting point of his brother being in the suit? Um, but it doesn't seem it doesn't seem like that problematic to me. Right. Uh, I, I think the thing that like that I've heard that where people, in my opinion, are just getting it wrong are people are like, uh, oh, it was his brother the whole time. Like, how long was he trapped in a basement yeah. or something like that? And it's like, wait, no, he wasn't trapped in a basement the whole time. <clears throat> yeah, right? I, think, I think it's pretty clear that it that his brother sort of stepped in like sort of like they they activated some some plan b or some contingency plan at some point where his brother had a suit and he was like for me i actually sort of assumed that um and one thing i would be very curious about if i watched the movie again to sort of check on is i assumed that it was basically adrian the whole time up until like she gets to james's house yeah yeah, yeah, and for I, sure. I think I think Adrian told Thomas, that's his brother's name, I think. Uh, possibly. Um, I think he told his brother, like, go to this address. Tom, yeah. You know, yeah, go to this address and kill this girl. 
Like that's, that's what I think happened. And, um, and the reason I'd be curious to watch the movie again is was his suit like flashing in James's house? Because that would maybe be no. an inconsistency. No, yeah, I don't it think wasn't. it was. I don't think it was. So, um, so assuming his suit wasn't flashing, I think that's consistent. I think it was Adrian at the hospital, like the the mental institution or where, wherever it was she was. Right. And then I think it was, and then I think he contacted his brother, had his brother go, and then she takes out his brother. Meanwhile, James has gone back to his house, or sorry, not James. Meanwhile, Adrian has gone back to his house and... Is boarding himself up in the basement. Yeah, and, 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 and used whatever means he had prepared, you know, in case he needed to. To board himself up and it was basically like this is my this is my backup in case thomas right you know, gets and to- killed. tom as and when you like kill uh uh james and sydney right come on back, come back. let me out of the basement yeah. right and we will continue our evil plan right like yep. the for people to act like he had been in there or was planning on being in there forever it's like no like he just yeah. needs to make it look like he's been in there if Tom gets killed, yep. right? That's it. Yeah, and then and as far as Tom's motivations, like why would Tom be willing to do all that? I'm like, come on. He, this guy is clearly, I mean, he's pretty much, they pretty much said it. Even Tom himself said it. Like he always like controlled me. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's probably true, you know? I right. think or if he's you a say, controlling person. And if Tom is like addicted to some massive amount of money, right? Mm-hmm that Adrian provides and Adrian's like, look, I'm going to cut you off entirely unless you do this. Like I could see a world where Tom is like, okay, like I have no, like I'm so accustomed to a particular quality of life that I've been afforded. Like I'm willing to do anything to maintain it. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't think they need to explain it. It's like, there's any number of plausible things. We don't know what makes Tom tick and it doesn't really totally matter. Right. Like, yeah, he's willing to do whatever Adrian says. So I'm going to bring this I'm going to bring this in somewhat of a circle by bringing up a point you raised earlier in the conversation where you were talking about when you know somebody and you kind of, you know, have a history with them and you trust them. Um then you're willing to like believe something, right? Or you're willing to take them a little more seriously when they say something that might seem a little incredible. Mm-hmm. That's kind of how I feel about this ending where like for some people to be like, "Oh, it totally falls apart at the end. It doesn't make sense." I'm like, have you forgotten everything the movie did up till now? You know, like, do you not trust, do you not like have a little faith in the movie? Like to me, it's just like such an intelligent movie that even just now in the past, you know, two minutes, I feel like we talked through it enough that I'm like, yeah, totally. There is totally a way that it makes sense. Um, And I'm willing to sort of think it through and think about like, how could it make sense? Because the movie's been so intelligent up till this point you know and it's and it's earned my trust and so it's just weird to me when people just kind of like say like ah it was great and super well made up until that weird ending that didn't make any sense and i'm like i don't think it didn't make sense i think you're just sort of like not even trying right right um i i agree i totally agree it's like the mood it's not like the make all the people the probably hundreds of people who are involved in making this movie like didn't think about it you know what i mean it's just like you've thought of like (laughs) you viewer have thought about this movie for all of like 20 seconds Mm -hmm. and the person who made it has been thinking about it for years right like for you to act like they didn't 
think of something very obvious. It's like, to your point, if the entire movie was stupid, then sure, maybe they didn't think about it, right? Because the, yeah. enti- the movie is giving you no evidence that it's well thought out, right? But the movie gives you tons of evidence that it's well thought out. And it's like, yeah. so if you feel like you don't understand something, maybe you don't understand it, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. think think another five minutes about it, right? Come up with some plausible solution because there's many. Yeah, I think I think... I do think there are probably plenty of movies that many people work on that don't make sense, but I think it's sort of like what you were saying is um, those movies, you can sort of tell how much, you know, attention and care went into them. And also, if it's like a Michael Bay movie or something, I'm sure there's movies like, you know, big budget movies that don't make sense where the people who made the movie no, it doesn't make sense. Right, but that's and not... And they the, just don't, they just don't care. You yeah, know? and that's not the point of those movies, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but this one, it's like, the movie clearly cares about making sense. I think, I think it, right. I think it more than sort of earns that level of, of, um, trust. Uh, yeah. so, okay, so that is not a fix the movie thing from my perspective. I was more just nope. bringing it up because other people seem to have gripe with it. So, uh, thus far, our number one, <laughs> our number one nitpick is the opening title uh, graphics, basically. Yep. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah, I don't think I have. Um, I guess. I guess the very, the very final scene. Um, I don't really have any gripe with it. I found it quite satisfying, honestly. Yeah. Um, but um, I do think it's maybe a little too tidy for for how for how resourceful and 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 sort of brilliant he was as a villain up until that moment yeah for, for him to sort of be caught off guard by that by that particular development of her having her own invisibility suit and and grabbing the knife like even just like the moment when she grabs the knife and you know kind of makes it look like he's cutting his own throat i'm like it seems like that was a little too easy. <laughs> right. Yeah, her. the the fact that he didn't bother to think like where is my other invisibility suit? Yeah. Right? Um now like it it's a little convenient that he just forgot about it, right? Um cuz it doesn't seem like the type of thing that he would do. Well, I doubt he forgot, but I think I don't know. I guess the way I can make sense of it is he he knew it was missing and in his mind that was something he was going to, you know, get from her, but he, right. he underestimated. He he didn't think that she had it in her to to use it. Yeah. To well to use it and and take him out. Right. To use it in that way. He just didn't yeah. view her as a threat. So, I think that's basically what it comes down to for me. Um, but still, yeah, it, may, it could have been probably a little bit harder. But I mean, I think at that point, we as the audience, like, we sort of need. We yeah. need a breather. <laughs> yeah. We need something good to happen. I mean, and at the end of the day, like, there are many, many movies where I am willing to accept little bits of movie logic to get me to sort of the end of the film in a satisfying mm-hmm. way. And if that's the bit, if that's the leap I have to make, where it's like he, he, in, he underestimated her, mm-hmm. right? It's sort of like, I'm willing to make that leap. Right. Yeah, it's not even that big of a leap. Right. Um. All right. Well. So now we're now we're up to the uh, the all important question: Would we beam this up? Yes. 
I'm with you. I yeah. say let's beam it up. I feel like, um, you know, whereas with upgrade, we thought, ah, surely this isn't going to stick around in the top, you know, in the top echelon. Right. This, this time around, I'm like, I think I might. I think, well, this is- also, I mean, uh, this is now the, f- one of the f- first movies of 2020 that we've mm-hmm. seen. And with, uh, a, global pandemic ravaging our globe there might not be that many movies this year to even like go see right yeah we'll see Um, so i think like let's start the year strong beam the sucker up and like you know (laughs) let's cross our fingers that we get a few more good movies this year that's right yeah and apologies to our astronaut if um if that doesn't turn out to be the case if he's just watching the invisible man on loop Eh, worse things could happen. All right, let's beam it up. All right. There, I did it. I All right, well, very good job. Thanks for listening. I'm Dan. I am Adam. This has been Space Flicks. Bye. Bye.